Welcome to the second episode of Thanks, I Quit, featuring figures from Swiss finance who have had an interesting shift in their career, and hosted by Fergus Horsfall. Today, I speak to Thomas Hugger, a Swiss national who previously worked at Julius Baer and LGT, and now runs a frontier markets asset manager called Asia Frontier Capital from Hong Kong. Thomas describes the dangers, both physical and financial, of investing in Iraq and Pakistan, how Swiss wealth managers are building frontier markets exposure, and why he is convinced the Uzbek Stock Exchange is Asia's hidden gem. Thomas, you have funds investing in Vietnam, general frontier markets, Iraq and Uzbekistan. Vietnam has become increasingly popular, but... Why launch funds for Iraq and Uzbekistan? Hi, Fergus. Yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity to speak to you today. Oh, there are various reasons for this. But in general, uh, we invest in Asian frontier markets. So we invest in countries which are in Asia and which are either in the frontier index or not yet in the frontier index. So obviously, Vietnam is part of the uh, global frontier index and Uzbekistan and Iraq are countries which are not yet in the frontier index uh, and I say hopefully not yet in the frontier index and hopefully soon and for both there are different stories so uh, let's start with Iraq Uh, we we launched a fund uh, in uh, 2015 and it was when we we prepared the the fund and we were uh, we were ready to, to launch it and then ISIS uh, came and invaded the country and we thought uh, it's a good, because normally the history is that countries which are uh, have ended a civil war or a war or coming out of a war normally have a huge uh, resurgence of, uh, of GDP and growth and uh, investments and recovering for, uh, from this and it's a great story. So that was one thing, also the timing of the fund. And the second thing is that we met a great guy uh, in the form of Ahmed Tabak Charlie, uh, dual uh, Iraq and British national, uh, who worked in uh, in the in the city of London for various uh, mainly American uh, uh, brokerage companies or investment houses. Great experience. Uh, his heart uh, is beating for Iraq, and he wanted to launch an Iraq fund, but he couldn't do it alone. So uh, my co-fund manager, uh, Ruchir, he met him in 2013 or 14 in uh, uh, in Iraq at a at a investor conference organized by our broker. We kept, they get along very well, and so I met him. Uh, two, three times in London when I was there every time. And so the, the idea was born. So that's why we have this Iraq fund. So uh, I think... Quickly, Thomas, before you get on to Uzbekistan, yeah. I mean, you mentioned there that the timing seemed good because of ISIS. Mm-hmm. Would, would that seem as slightly a... against what most people might think? They might think, I don't want to invest in a country which has got something like ISIS happening there. So our idea was, you know, you all, you never can hit the bottom and nobody knows. I mean, normally you, you can assume when the bottom happened because when there's a big washout, big lot of selling, uh, crisis, whatever. But you cannot forecast it. So and with a fund which has a monthly uh, subscriptions, so we need to, we had to be a little bit early. So we were too early uh, to do to launch the fund, obviously. Because yeah, it's sticky, and then it's a pity you you have a fund ready, and 
it's it turns around and no uh, the investors are too late so we want to have the investors in and then uh, get get them in because we want that they make money for uh, we want to make money for our investors i mean that's the primary goal yeah so you were worried if you waited until isis were clearly being defeated that all of the iraqi investments might bounce back and you would have missed that yes we, we, did, we didn't want to miss okay. this uh, big rally maybe of 20 30 percent or whatever yes exactly yeah okay yeah and Uzbekistan uh, is a different story. Uzbekistan came uh, onto our radar because we were investing in 10 countries before. And then uh, in 2017 and 2018, this uh, Road and Belt initiative of the Chinese uh, became uh, more p- uh, pace. Uh, we were investing in Pakistan, which was the main beneficiary. But then we were also thinking of uh, some of the stone countries that they might also be uh, a uh, major beneficiary of the uh, road and belt initiative because for example Kazakhstan is between uh, Europe and uh, and China so everything needs to be transported there so my colleague uh, Scott Oshohoff uh, uh, I sent him uh, seconded him to a trip there uh, a friend of us organized so he went to Kazakhstan and after one week he went to then uh, so he went to Kazakhstan and I told him when you are in Kazakhstan also go to Kyrgyzstan Uzbekistan they have also stock market there and check it out what's happening there because I had no idea what, what's happening there and I, I have also said I didn't know much about Uzbekistan I just knew that they're good wrestlers and boxers and sumo ringers and that's it and have a good soccer team as well but uh, so I told him to go there so he went first to Bishkek the capital of uh, Kyrgyzstan and came back and he said yeah, it's a sleepy uh, town after that he went to Uzbekistan and uh, after two days, he wrote, uh, he called me up and said, hey, Thomas, because I was su- supposed to go uh, a few weeks later also to Kazakhstan for a conference. He said, cancel your trip to uh, Kazakhstan. Just go to Uzbekistan. You need to believe, uh, see yourself. You wouldn't believe when I tell you that. You need to see that. So, uh, yeah, since uh, we are... Uh, value investors, I couldn't really cancel my trip anymore without a big, uh, <laughs> big uh, charge uh, or losing everything. So I was able to squeeze in uh, two days or three days uh, in Uzbekistan. And then I saw it myself. And it's a, it's a great story. It's like uh, North Korea opens today and nobody will notice it. Uh, it and or uh, Cuba will open and yeah, nobody will notice it. And that's what happened in, uh, in uh, Uzbekistan. And great thing about Uzbekistan compared with Cuba and North Korea is they have a stock market at that time the stocks were really uh, sorry my language dirt cheap so uh, unbelievable cheap you know stocks trading at two two or three times or less than two times PE dividend yields in certain cases more than 30% and this kind of stuff it's a it's a dream uh, and yeah, so we couldn't believe the first couple of months uh, that we were the only one discovering that. We were also saying, why do we see that and the rest of the world doesn't see that? Um, you talked a bit about the different trips you've taken there. Are there any of the places you're investing where it's perhaps dangerous? Because obviously you talked about Iraq with ISIS. I mean, there must be difficult visiting some of these companies then. Yes, uh, you mentioned Iraq. Uh, when we launched the Iraq Fund, I had to promise my wife that I will not go to the country and visit it. That was one of the conditions. Uh, yeah, so my colleague uh, Ahmed, uh, he didn't go for the first three years to Iraq. Even uh, he has relatives there and so on. It was too dangerous. But now uh, he spends 
uh, more or less 10 months for a year in Iraq because the situation has changed a lot. There are other countries, certain parts of uh, Pakistan, uh, Balochistan, the province in the southwest is uh, unsafe, it's a non-go area, or parts of uh, Karachi are also uh, dangerous. Uh, I've been to Port Moresby uh, in Papua New Guinea, the capital of Papua New Guinea, and there uh, we always had... Uh, uh, guys uh, protecting us and in the night uh, we couldn't go out it was too dangerous okay do you mainly try and stick to the safer regions then with where you're investing or do you sometimes see perhaps good opportunities because the situation is perceived as dangerous but you think it's going to improve in the next few years and then you want to go and invest in these areas uh, not really. That's our main <laughs> criteria to reinvest. So we are basically value investor. Uh, we love uh, consumer stocks. That's our main focus. We want to have around 40 to 50 percent, uh, if possible, in consumer, undervalued consumer stocks. And yeah, sometimes it's because of the nature, because the, maybe a company is situated a locate or located in a dangerous area. Maybe it has some kind of discount of the uh, for the valuation, but it's not really what we're looking for. Yep. Okay. And in terms of the time frame as well, because I think of the four funds I mentioned, three of them are up significantly since inception, but the Iraq fund is actually down since inception. Um, I think by about twenty five percent. So what what time frame should investors be looking at if they're investing in something like your Iraq fund? And in general, we tell all our investors if they want to invest in uh, frontier markets, uh, it's not an ETF which you can buy in the morning and sell in the afternoon. You need to have an investment horizon of uh, five years at least and really try to st stick for five years because, no, it's a pity. We had some investors, uh, despite we telling them, invested in Vietnam, they made maybe 100% and they sold uh, a year ago and now we are up 250%. So, and they... they they missed the last hundred fifty percent, so it's a pity for them that they stock for us for uh, for five years, and then the most fastest uh, uh, increase they missed it. And then, in terms of because you've obviously got a lot of single, well, you've got several single country funds. I mean. As an investor, say, sitting in Europe, presumably frontier markets are not going to be a really high proportion of my overall geographic allocation. So why would I want to pick, say, a specific Uzbekistan fund rather than your overall frontier markets fund? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, from our experience is that, uh, that normally, let's say, family offices or a fund of funds, they they would pre they prefer to invest in our broader diversified fund because it's a uh, because of the low correlation is also reducing a little bit uh, of the portfolio risk and it's a interesting uh, play uh, for for let's say consu uh, consumer uh, the, what we call the manufacturing shift from China to Vietnam Bangladesh Pakistan and those countries uh, Cambodia and Laos and in the future Pakistan and we see that more uh, uh, high net worth individuals or private investors uh, tend to pick than a particular story, let's say like Vietnam or, uh, or Uzbekistan. So Vietnam, for example, uh, I don't understand why. Uh, I have the same feeling a little bit being Swiss. A lot of Swiss investors uh, like uh, Vietnam for some 
historical reason. And uh, we have seen a lot of investors uh, uh, from Switzerland investing in our uh, Vietnam fund. And Uzbekistan, obviously, is a different story. Uh, as I said, now it's people uh, outside of uh, of of Central Asia and uh, Middle East, they also now uh, learn about the story, see the figures and see the performance of our fund. We also try to uh, publicize it uh, as broad as possible. And now more and more people uh, are aware of this uh, story. And obviously in our Uzbekistan fund, we have quite some investors from the region, uh, uh, for, let's say former or, or, or Russians outside of uh, Russia, a uh, lot of uh, uh, Russian individuals from uh, actually from the UK or from other uh, cities in Europe or also a Middle Eastern country especially from uh, Dubai and uh, Qatar and Oman which has a long-standing relationship with uh, Uzbekistan since both region are uh, uh, Islamic. Vietnam has clearly been quite successful for you as well as for some other frontier fund managers. I mean, are there other markets that you have perhaps had, maybe not individual funds even, but you've been quite keen on over your career investing in frontier markets, maybe had a significant allocation to them in your overall frontier markets fund, and then you've had to turn around and say, actually, I think I called this wrong. Yeah, for for each country, there's a special story. I mean, uh, one problem is in uh, for certain countries is that the stock market is or the stock markets are still too small. So, for example, Cambodia, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Laos, Maldives, and uh, Myanmar, uh, the stock market there, they have uh, maybe maximum 10, uh, 10 stocks. So you cannot really build up um, a major position in, uh, in, in a fund because, you know, uh, you need to diversify. You, you don't want to have 30% in one stock. So what we, we don't want to have it. Uh, certain hedge funds, yeah. they do that, but we are not this kind of stuff. We are, we are more diversified uh, because it's the background is frontier markets. So that is one reason. And uh, secondly, uh, yeah, I'm a good example. Uh, we made a lot of money uh, when we started investing in Pakistan because when we launched the fund in 2012, Pakistan was also the same situation. Like It was not as so extreme as in Uzbekistan, but as well, uh, one of the first stocks I remember uh, was a, uh, we invested in a brewery. It's probably the oldest company in uh, Pakistan. It's you, know, you need to understand it's a Muslim country. And... Uh, the inhabitants or the, the people there are not supposed to drink alcohol. It's very difficult to to get it only in hotels and in some some special liquor shops in some provinces. And we invested in this company. Uh, was trading at three times P, and uh, I mean the stock went tw up twenty times uh, in no time. And so we made good money there, not only with this company, but with also with a pharmaceutical company, with a, a tobacco company, and so on. Uh, and then, unfortunately, in uh, 2017, 2018, they had some issues with the currency. The, they never devalued the currency. It was basically fixed at 100 to the US dollars. Now it's uh, 165. So, and then the, uh, uh, shortly after, Pakistan was uh, upgraded to uh, the Emerging Market Index. That basically, the index collapsed. They had to call for IMF uh, to, to, to help because of the finances, they had to devalue the currency. So there, uh, at the end, we had to say, actually, I mean, it was not a mistake, but we should have got, gotten out earlier. Yeah. But now, uh, again, Pakistan is in a similar situation. It's uh, extreme, uh, uh, again, extremely cheap, completely overlooked. 
and it's in general frontier markets are overlooked by foreign investors. In recent months, we've seen steep share price corrections for some of the best-known developed market growth stocks, such as Meta, previously known as Facebook, and Netflix. These are stocks which had performed very well over the few years before that. Is this a positive sign for you as a frontier market value investor? Do you think that this could lead to some inflows for your funds? Obviously, we hope that finally after, because foreigners uh, were net selling in those markets and are still net sellers since uh, 2018, when uh, uh, many of the global frontier funds, big frontier funds, uh, over 1 billion US dollars were hard closed. And now the fund sizes is down to sometimes 100 million or 150 million, in certain cases, even below 100 million, that this will finally stop. And because of that, uh, actually, on the good side, on the positive side, is that a lot uh, of these uh, darlings of the uh, of the foreigners, let's say like Nestle in Pakistan or uh, or, the, or some tobacco company BAT in Bangladesh, uh, their valuation have come down a lot. I mean, it's basically more more than half the valuation. And also, for example, our fund. Uh, in 2018 was 25 million, now it's uh, down to 13 million. The valuation, the PE in 2018 was 20 times, now we are hardly 10 times. So that helped, I mean, on the positive side, negative side is obviously we had outflow, but on the positive side, now the fund is much cheaper and we can, uh, uh, if we get new money in, we can pick beautiful uh, long-term investment stocks, which normally foreigners like and trading at uh, record low valuations or historic maybe valuations which were not as low in the last past 20 years. And in terms of your personal career, how did you first end up interested in frontier markets? Because this was perhaps not a mainstream career path to follow as someone who first worked at a Swiss cantonal bank and then worked at a private bank in Switzerland. Okay, uh, it's Two roads. One is personal uh, traveling uh, with my, at that time, my girlfriend and now my wife. The first trip we made was to Sri Lanka later on because her father used to work for Swissair. So she had uh, cheap flights and I could participate. So we went to Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia and those countries. So that was uh, from a personal point of view. But on the sec- uh, on the uh, business point, also uh, job-wise, I start... Uh, I, uh, I was a market maker for Japanese convertible and warrants for Bank Julius Baer starting 1985. So I was somehow entrenched uh, to Asia. And so I was also traveling on business uh, to Japan. And when the Japanese bubble burst in uh, end of uh, 89 and 90, in 93, uh, one of the um, family member, Mike Baer of Bank Julius Baer, Mike Baer, he joined the trading department where I was still the, at the Japan desk and uh, he came and started initiative to start a uh, Asia desk so that's in back in 93 we, we started investing and outside uh, we widened our focus from just doing Japan to the rest of Asia so I did a trip with Mike in 93 to Malaysia uh, Thailand India and also Pakistan 
And so therefore, my investment background goes back to 93 in certain counties like Bangladesh and uh, Pakistan and Sri Lanka, where we invest still today. But of course, in 93, uh, there was no stock market in Vietnam. As, uh, Vietnam, the stock market only opened in 2000 with 10 stocks. And today, uh, uh, Vietnam has, more, has, has about 3000 listed companies. And then you also, because you were at LGT in Hong Kong, weren't you? But then at one point you then you leave and you decide you're going to go and you eventually end up running your own frontier markets manager. What was that shift like? So from LGT, I joined uh, Leopard Capital, which is a start, well, at that time in 2008 was a startup uh, uh, PE fund management company focusing on frontier markets. So we launched a Cambodia fund and later on a Haiti fund. But we also tried to launch other PE funds, single PE funds in other countries like Mongolia, Myanmar, uh, Bangladesh. Uh, but we didn't really uh, succeed because it was too sporty for some of the investors. And the founder of uh, Leopard Capital, he came up with the idea to launch a, a fund which is more diversified, investing in more countries and which is more liquid, so listed equities. And I was given the task to doing that because I was the only guy in the uh, in the organization uh, already knowing, uh, managing equity portfolios or, or, or yeah, discretionary managed portfolios from my time at LGT in Zurich and in Hong Kong. And so we launched in March 2012 this uh, Leopard Asia Frontier Fund. And after one year, uh, the founder, Doc Clayton, decided uh, he wanted to close basically down the, the fund because of the fund size was too small. And also we had an office uh, in Hong Kong to close down the Hong Kong uh, office. And that's where I stepped in and said, I believe in Asia, in this strategy that it works uh, uh, and it, we just need more patience. And so I... Uh, acquired both the listed equity business of uh, Asia uh, of Leopard Capital and renamed it Asia Frontier Capital. Yeah, and you are you're still in Hong Kong. Yes. You've been in Hong Kong for quite a long time now. Um, do you ever miss Switzerland? Perhaps, especially considering the COVID regulations in Hong Kong currently. Yes, it's a big headache. Uh, COVID uh, situation here. It's just getting uh, at the moment. We have our fifth wave. Uh, no, nowadays, I have to say that I was already in 95 to 97 for Julius Baer in Hong Kong. But now with internet and all this kind of stuff, uh, you're getting closer. Because in 95, 97, my wife maybe called every two weeks uh, her mother now. And it was costed a fortune. And now uh, she, she can call her uh, basically any minute and it's free. So the only thing I, I really miss is um, ice hockey playoff uh, in Switzerland. Uh, the life, uh, you know, when you can watch the, the game live on uh, on TV and because it's too late here, it's uh, three o'clock in the morning. It's, so that's basically the only thing I miss. 